Please open your Bibles to John chapter 16. Enough surprises for us this morning. I thought I'd surprise you with a shorter sermon, but I thought better of that. We shall see. John chapter 16. As we consider the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God to His church. Now, last Lord's Day, we examined the Holy Spirit of God's ministry or work in the world. Let's just look at those scriptures once again, briefly, and then go right to our text this morning, verse 12. So, John 16, beginning in verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And we looked at those scriptures primarily towards the world, and we looked at the applications of that for the believer. And then we begin in verse 12 this morning. I have many more things to say to you, says the Lord, but you cannot bear them now. For when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Lord, again I ask for the help of the Holy Spirit of God for this morning, for the preaching of your word. Indeed, O God, that you would help me to be faithful to your word, to be faithful to you, and that you would give ears to hear and that you would fire up our hearts this morning for Christ. Amen. If you have the Reformation Study Bible, there's a section in John's Gospel called The Personality of the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to read that section, and not right now, obviously, this morning, but uh, at some point. And I have some comments from it that I've adapted and I've, um, so some of this is from that, some of this is my own. Real quick here, this morning. As a reminder, the Holy Spirit is a person and not a force. Okay, oftentimes, uh, people get mixed up with that. I mean, he is a he, not an it. And oftentimes we can hear someone mistakenly say it, referring to the Holy Spirit rather than he. Only personal pronouns are used in the scriptures to define the Holy Spirit of God, to describe the Holy Spirit of God. Since the Holy Spirit is a real and distinct person, not an impersonal force, it is possible for us to enjoy a personal relationship with Him. Oftentimes, in Reformed circles, we get scared when we study the Holy Spirit of God, or we're timid when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, or being led by the Holy Spirit of God, and we ought not to be that way. Consider Paul's benediction in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So indeed, we have communion with the triune God, including the the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. To have communion with someone is to enter a personal relationship with him. In addition, we are called not to sin against, to resist, or to grieve the Holy Spirit. Impersonal forces cannot be grieved. Grief can only be experienced by a personal being. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, it is appropriate to pray to Him. His role in prayer is to assist us in expressing ourselves adequately to the Father. As Jesus intercedes for us, As our high priest, so the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in prayer. Also, the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit performing tasks that only a person can perform. The Spirit comforts, He guides, and He teaches the people of God. These activities are done in a manner that involves intelligence, will, feeling, and power. He searches, selects, reveals, comforts, convicts, and admonishes. Only a person could do these things. It has contrast to a force. When Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, he uses the word he. Draw your attention here to verse 13. How many times does Jesus say this? Let's just look at it again. When he, being the Spirit of truth, he, the, Holy, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his only initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. I believe that was seven times. And in verse 14, he will glorify me, he will take up mine, and will disclose it to you. So we have nine times in two verses. It's unequivocally obvious to us. Also important to recall is that Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper. He is our helper. In the passages of the farewell discourse dealing with the Spirit, Jesus taught that the Spirit is five uh, things here. Another helper who would take Christ's place in discipling his followers. So this helper who would come after Jesus departed. Secondly, the Spirit would enable the apostles to remember all that Jesus had taught them. To remember all that Jesus had taught them. Thirdly, in the midst of persecution, would empower the believers to witness about Jesus. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to the world. And we covered that last week. Fifthly, guide to the disciples in all the truth. First point for us this morning, all beginning with the letter G. Grasping words of Christ. Grasping the words of Christ. I have many more things to say to you, verse 12, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus has said quite a bit already. And it is coming to the tip of the iceberg, so to speak, or it is coming to the the end of of what he is teaching. And here he says, I have many more things to say to you. And he's already said many things to them, but you cannot bear them now. And this word bear here is an interesting word. The connotation of carrying a burden or picking up stones. 
Now the question provoked here in our minds, it should be, is why? Why could they not bear these things now? Why could they not bear them at this point? Were they too weak? In some ways, yes, they were. Still. Not enough faith? Well, we would concede that they were going through quite a time with everything Jesus just laid out for them, told them. But it seems the answer primarily lies in where the disciples were in progressive revelation. They were still living before the cross. And the weight and glory of what Christ was about to do, they could not handle at this point. They could not bear it. But they would be able to after the fact. They were dimly perceiving things. They were in the shadows of things. In the 40 days after the resurrection, before the ascension, the disciples, though, went to seminary with the greatest teacher that ever lived. That, of course, being the God-man, Jesus Christ. Yet he promised to send them the spirit of truth as well, in Acts chapter 2. So from the Old Testament to the New, We have progressive revelation, redemptive history, the unfolding of God's revelation. And the disciples were here right before the crucifixion and the resurrection and ascension of Christ. And there are certain things they just could not bear. In the Old Testament, there was the temple, the feast and animal sacrifices. And these all pointed forward to Christ. The sacrificial animals pointed towards the true sacrifice, the Lamb of God who would shed His blood for His people. Even John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we understand the Holy Spirit provided revelation over the course of the years in redemptive history. However, now we have the complete canon of Scripture. If one thinks that God is still providing revelation as he did in the scriptures to the apostles and such, they, those who would think that way, are in good company with cults such as Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. Does God still speak to his people? Yes, absolutely. Is God still granting revelation as the scriptures as he did to those who were writing and uh, who were there, the apostles? No. There is a distinction. When Jesus spoke of a future revelation, he is teaching, as James Boyce puts it, he is teaching that the Holy Spirit would lead the disciples into a supplementary but definitive new revelation that thereafter would be the church's authoritative standard of doctrine. The foundation has already been laid. The writer of Hebrews says, In chapter 1, verse 2, In these last days, God in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, who He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. 
So when we consider God speaking to his people, he does this by way of illuminating our minds, illumination. I invite you to turn to Hebrews for a moment. This was a text that came to me late in the game as far as preparation. As we consider an application for grasping the words of Christ, consider many more things to say to you, as he said to his disciples, but you cannot bear them now. And we saw the reasons why they could not bear them now. Were they weak? Still weak? Yes. Did they need to grow in their walk with Christ? Yes. And we're also where they were before, uh, before the cross. But as a way of application for us, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. And I've told you before, if I accidentally slip and say Paul said this, that doesn't necessarily mean I believe Paul wrote this. I don't know. So, but it just happens at times for some reason. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Consider that this morning, Christian, being dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. For solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Slow to learn. Milk instead of meat. Being dull of hearing. Is that true for any of us here this morning? Do you still, you've been say, you say you've been walking with the Lord for 20 years or however long it has been. I've been such and such church for so many years. But are you still just drinking milk? Is milk all you can handle at this time? Why is that? Are you dull of hearing? Any of us here, are we dull of hearing? After so long. Think of a baby that drinks or eats baby food, right? And then they grow. And then they start eating other food at some point in some time. I understand parents have trouble with that in different ways when that comes, when they start eating regular food. But you get the point. Often, eventually they will move, move off of that baby food, off of that milk, and will eat solid food and will eat the meat. They don't become 24, 25, 26, 27, and go back to drinking the, the, the infant milk again, unless they're living in their parents' basement or something. <laughs> then they might. Grasping the words of Christ, are there things that we should know by now, but we cannot bear them? And why would that be? Secondly, guiding in Christ. Guiding in Christ. Back to John. First, grasping the words of Christ. Secondly, 
guiding in Christ, guiding in Christ. Jesus says, but when he, the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The Spirit of truth will will guide them. Jesus was not promising them that they would know then everything about everything. He guides them in the truth. Doesn't mean they're going to know everything about astronomy, everything about mathematics. Who would know anything much about that anyway? Everything about science, everything about history. And they're going to know everything. No. The Spirit of truth will guide them into all the truth, all the doctrine that they have needed to understand. And we see this. I mentioned the foundation. I want to read from Ephesians briefly, chapter 4 or chapter 2. I'm going to go quick. You can turn there. You can write it down, whatever you want. But I'm not going to hang out in that text long. But the apostles were the foundation that was laid, that we are to lay upon, that we are to stand upon as far as the church. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Jesus gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And then in chapter 2, verse 20 through 22, verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. There's the foundation that has been laid. Who is the chief cornerstone? Christ Jesus himself being that cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitting to get, fitted together is growing into, in a holy temple to the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The point for us is the writings of the apostles, the New Testament, the standard for the church That is the foundation. Now that the foundation is laid, we do not lay another foundation on top of it and say, no, God is still speaking in this way. God is doing this and God is doing that outside of the Scriptures. No, the foundation is already laid. We build on the foundation already set by Christ. For the apostles, the Spirit reminded them of the past, helped them to understand the present and for them, revealed things to come. It was not an independent message they received. They would be guided further in understanding of much of what they have already learned. The spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. This is not the first time Jesus has called the Holy Spirit of God the spirit of truth. We've seen this in chapter 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. So we've already seen this before. The Spirit of truth is going to come. Jesus is going to send the Spirit of truth, and the Spirit of truth will testify about Christ. So we see a similar statement in the text we're studying this morning. Jesus, of course, of course, called himself the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me, John 14, 6. Those who worship the Father must do so, what? In spirit and in truth. The spirit of truth is the spirit who communicates the truth. Also, going back to chapter 14 and verse 16 and 17, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth 
whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Okay, that should tell us something. If there's a spirit of truth, then there is also a spirit of error. And we are either listening to one or the other. If the spirit of truth is the the Holy Spirit of God guiding us in truth, and if the world cannot comprehend the spirit of truth because of who they are without Christ, they do not know the spirit of truth. On the other hand, the world is very acquainted with the spirit of error. The spirit of error. So we have on one hand the spirit of truth, and on the other hand the spirit of error. We see this in 1 John chapter 4. I invite you to turn there. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Testing the spirits. But our point is, third point is gauging the spirits. Gauging the spirits. Instead of testing, we use the word gauging. Gauging the spirits. The question for us in this section, as we go through this here, as we go through 1 John chapter 4, 1 through 6, the question is, who has your ear? Who's got your ear? Who are you listening to, in other words? Right? Because sometimes we say to a person we trust, they have my ear. I will listen to them. Gauging the spirits. And the context here is the us and them. The we and the us are the truth tellers. The they and the them, worldly antichrist liars. But before we get to verse 5 and 6, we have to walk through verse 1 and 4. Let's just read verse 5 and 6 and then walk through. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. And he who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Okay, so verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. So Christian, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits, gauge these spirits to see whether they are from God. Why is that? Why would we have to do that? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. So we see the contrast. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. In other words, and a point for us, not every spirit comes from God. John may have many types of spirits in mind here. He could be thinking angels and demons and the spirit inside humans. Most likely, human teachers are in mind here. But he placed them under two headings. Two headings. A contrast for us to consider. The spirit of truth and a spirit of error. Which one is this uh, spirit falling under? The spirit of truth or the spirit of error? And verse 2 through 3 is indeed the test. That is the test. By this you know. What do they do with Christ? Christ.
Verse 4 through 6, verse 4, you are from God, little children. Again, John speaking very affectionately there to the people of God. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them and given them encouragement there. Because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is the Spirit of God who is in you than he who is in the world. Again, the they in verse 5, they. Or we could contrast it this way. Verse 4, you are from God, Christian. And verse 5, they are from the world. They speak from the world. We, the speaking is implied, we are from God. And of course, the context originally is with the apostles here teaching. We are from God. But for Christians, we are speaking from God. We ought to be speaking from God. They, the apostates, are false teachers, and we, uh, not us uh, as apostles, but we, the apostles, or true teachers and Christians. The world listens to them, those we Christians ought to listen to the truth. That's who we listen to, the spirit of truth. We must continue, although, to test the spirits today. We must be absolutely sure we are giving our ear to the spirit of truth. Oftentimes we'll come across a a Christian or a professing Christian and they've supposedly been walking with the Lord however many years it is. And they say, wow, I'm reading this book. And they lay it down. And it is, as you know, a heretical book or a book filled with so many errors because you've studied it out and you've known about it for years. And here they are. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. No discernment. What spirit are they listening to? And then if you say something, guess who is the self-righteous, know-it-all, whatever it is? The one who is discerning, who has wept over these things, who has studied the Word of God, who has the scars in life, and says, no, take caution here. And the one who may not even know Christ says, oh, this is the greatest thing. You just don't know. Theology is crucial, brothers and sisters. And you cannot grow in theology and your understanding of the Word of God by sitting here once a week and listening to me for however long it is. If that's your Christianity, you're stunting your growth if you are a believer. Your growth is being severely stunted. We must be absolutely sure we as Christians are giving our ear to the spirit of truth. And the spirit... Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God work together, if I can say it that way. Many movements want to move beyond the Word of God and just say, oh, we're all focused here on the Spirit of God. And then all these bizarre things happen, and they say, well, we're just focused on the Spirit. We're Spirit-filled. We're Spirit-led. And either they go into heresies galore, or it doesn't last because it wasn't true to begin with. Listen to commentary. Uh, Douglas Sean O'Donnell, he says this. 
We are not missing some Spirit-filled experience when we only read and teach the Bible. There is not a time for the Spirit singing and praying, and then a time for the Word, which is preaching. To be led by the Spirit in corporate worship or private devotion is to be led back to the inspired apostolic testimony. In other words, the Word of God. So again, when we come here Sunday morning, we don't say, oh, we're going to worship for two songs, and then we're going to hear the preaching of the Word of God. It's all supposed to be worship of God. Gauging the spirits. We must be on guard. Glorifying Christ. Next point. Glorifying Christ. Verse 14 of John. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit of God will glorify me, says Jesus, and he will take of mine and will disclose it to you, to the disciples. And his application we understand for us. He will glorify me. The redemptive plan focused on Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit is Christocentric. He will draw attention not to himself but to Christ. He will glorify Christ. Leon Morris, it is the things of Christ that he takes and declares. That is, his ministry is built upon and is necessarily sequel to that of Christ. He is, the Holy Spirit of God is the helper that Jesus has sent. Spirit's main function and purpose is to glorify and to magnify Jesus Christ. The Spirit guides us into truth, discloses truth to us. The aim is to display Christ's glory to us, pointing to Christ. Holy Spirit of, of God's purpose in many ways is to glorify Jesus Christ. Now, if the third member of the triune God glorifies Christ, shouldn't we as his people seek to do that as our aim in life? In all we do to glorify Jesus Christ, to truly live to glorify him. We had a brother lead us in a devotional slash charge for the men's breakfast, Andrew and Second Timothy. I want to remind us of that. Second Timothy chapter two, verse eight through thirteen, and his title was Remembering Jesus Christ, which he mentioned that he remembered from another place. He he borrowed it and he mentioned that. And I'm borrowing from him. Remember Jesus Christ, but it says this in the text here, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 through 13. Remembering Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, verse 8, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. For it is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. Now this is how we practically are we glorifying Christ. Is that our, is that our aim? Is that our, is that our goal? If we died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 
remembering Christ, practically speaking, in our life? Is that what we are doing as we seek to glorify Him? Fifthly, gripped by Christ. Gripped by Christ. All things that the Father has are mine, says the Lord. Therefore I said that He takes of mine and will disclose it to you. If you see that disclosed to you is repeated, this phrase, it's also in the previous verse. Maybe in your translation, whatever you have there, it's not exactly repeated, but here it is, disclosed it to you. I will disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit as guide and teacher will guide and teach them what they can only receive and understand after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Disclosed to you is what Jesus says here, God would give his apostles what they needed to know and what they needed to understand. The same is true for us. We have God's word and we need to rely on the Holy Spirit of God to help us understand God's word. Do we really want to know God and his word? I heard a teaching recently in the 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 pastor said, we know God as a Christian. We know God as well as we want to at this time. We know God. You know God as well as you want to. Do we really want to know God in His Word to know God? John Owen gives us some help on the Spirit of God and understanding. Here he says this, there are three errors to avoid. Some pretend to be guided by the Spirit and neglect the written word. So pause there for a moment. Some say, I'm guided by the Spirit of God, but will neglect the word of God. That's erroneous. That's error. Some despise the teaching of the Spirit and trust in their own understanding of the word. Despising the teaching of the Spirit, trusting in their own understanding of the Word. Others reject both the Spirit and the Word and go after another rule and guide, putting something uh, in front of Scripture or better than Scripture in their own minds. To none of these is the promise of the Spirit given. They are left to their foolish, corrupt imaginations. Scripture is the believer's rule, and the Holy Spirit is his guide. Again, as John Owen says, Scripture is the, is the believer's rule, and the Holy Spirit is his guide. So consider that. Are we grasping the words of Christ? Grasping the very words in his word? Are we where we ought to be? Guiding in Christ. Who are we looking to to guide us? Is it the Spirit of God or another Spirit? Gauging the spirits. Are we testing the spirits? Glorifying Christ. Is that our aim? And are we gripped by Christ? Like what really grips you in your life? What really is going to grip you tomorrow if you're still alive? What will grip you? Some of you here are without the Spirit of God because 
you have not Christ. You have not the Spirit of God. You have not been born again. In order to even understand any of this, in order to understand the Spirit of God, you must be born again. The understanding of the gospel and all God's word is not the result of investigation. It is the result of illumination. That's why the psalmist would pray and we ought to pray, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. It's very easy for us to try to rely on our own self and not the spirit of God when we open the word of God. The Spirit leads into truth, into the heart. Do you love the truth? Has Christ made himself known to you? If you are lost this morning, he has not, and today is the day of salvation. Can you, everyone in here, unequivocally say, yes, she has. He has made himself known to me. I have trusted in Christ and Christ alone. I have repented of my sin. I have turned from that and trusted in Jesus. I am following him. And can you say, can all of us in here say, yes, I am following Jesus Christ. Father, that that would be the case this morning, that all who are here could say, yes, indeed, I am following Jesus Christ. That we are being guided by the Holy Spirit. That we are grasping your words. That we are gauging the spirits, careful and discerning. Are we seeking to glorify you, Jesus? Are we gripped by you? What grips us? What grips our heart? Is it you, O Lord? Is it you? Help us that that would indeed be the case. Lord, we also would ask that any in here who do not know Christ, you would save their soul at this time, Lord. Let them not go another moment without Christ, we pray. Only you can do such a work. In Jesus' name, amen.